Good morning, church. What a fun morning here. Palm Sunday. Well, I spent most of yesterday morning taking apart and moving a swing set. And a, a member of our church was uh, kind to offer this, this well-loved set to us for our kids to enjoy. And thank you especially to Ben McDonald and Hunter Carroll for the help with that project. Much appreciated. Now, you have to understand something about me, and that is that there's almost nothing that I do rashly or spontaneously. Almost nothing. Especially things that are going to require a lot of effort out of me and a lot of time. And so for my lovely wife, it took her about three seconds to say, of course we need this swing set. There is not a shadow of a doubt in her mind that that thing was going to land in our backyard and provide years and years of playful bliss. For me, on the other hand, and you might relate, it took me about three weeks to finally come around and say, okay, okay, we'll do this. Because I, I have that initial spark of excitement, like, yeah, this would be amazing, and then the questions set in. Well, wait a minute, how's this going to work in my yard, which, which slopes off toward the back? How are we going to level it out? What, what about the tools? Like, do I have the tools required for this? How am I going to move this thing? This thing that weighs like hundreds of pounds, large pieces of play, equipment. Who's going to help me? No doubt I needed help. This set, it's, 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 it's a little, it's great, but it's a little dirty. It needs to be power washed and stained and cleaned up a bit. And so all the questions begin to unravel in my mind. And so what do I do? Go out to my backyard, kind of stare at it for half an hour. I, I, I consult my best sources, which would be my dad and my best friend Brian. I consult YouTube, just like everybody else would do. I'm a bit of a holdout with these things, you might say. But I think that my experience with that swing set yesterday mirrors in some way our experience of our life with God, at least my life with God. Because for me, after a while of thinking it through, thinking about my options, gathering my facts, getting feedback, I built up enough trust to finally say yes, uh, enough trust in myself Enough trust in my resources. Enough trust in my community. Enough trust to finally say, okay, I don't know how this is going to pan out. This could be a total disaster. But yes, I'll throw myself into this process and into this project. This morning, this, this Palm Sunday morning, we consider two figures that were driven by a profound trust. A trust in a God who had proven himself trustworthy. A, a trust that says, you know, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know how things will go. But I trust you. I give myself to you. 
And so for this, we consider David. And then we consider the Messiah who in many ways this David prefigured. And we're talking about Jesus Christ. As Jesus hung on the cross in these final moments and as he says this sixth word that we'll explore in our sermon series on the seven last words of Jesus. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's interesting is this word, like some of the other ones that we've explored over the last few weeks, are are inspired by and hearken back to the Psalms. In this case, this morning's word, we look at Psalm 31. And this word this morning offers us an important word. And it is this, that committing ourselves into God's hands is our hope in life, and it's our hope in death. Committing ourselves into God's hands is our hope in life and our hope in death. As we turn to the word, let us pray. God, we thank you again for this Palm Sunday as we remember your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We say, Hosanna, Hosanna. But God, we know that the road that lay ahead of you involves suffering, and we thank you for your obedience. We thank you that even in that moment as you entered this city, you entrusted your life and your spirit into the hands of your Father. So God, help us this morning to entrust ourselves to you again in a similar way, knowing that you are good and loving and hold us through our lives. So God, with this in mind, have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin by looking at portions of Psalm 31 that we've heard read. And this, like many of the Psalms, is attributed to David. And David came from humble beginnings. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest of several brothers. But David was God's anointed one to be king of Israel. God said, David is the one that I will raise up to sit on the throne of Israel. But naturally, on this trajectory from humility, from humble beginnings to, to the throne, there was challenges, there were opponents. David had real human enemies. And in some ways, David's experiences were exceptional. I mean, anyone who's going to be lifted up to a throne of power is probably going to experience some setbacks, some pushbacks, some challenges along the way. There was jealousy, contempt, violence from the outside closing on David at a number of points. He was often on the run. He was often in trouble. And so in some ways, his experiences are exceptional. But in other ways, as we kind of map our life onto these psalms, much of this resonates with us too. As we feel with the Psalms, we remember the challenges that we face, the opponents that we may face, be they physical or spiritual in this life. We brush up against a world which seems to reward the wicked and roll over the righteous. We face the allure and the pull of 
the false gods and the other priorities, all the competing priorities of our world that come against us. We, on a regular daily basis, you, on a daily basis, have to, I'm sure, interact with and work with people whose hope is in everything but God. So like David, we too fall on the grace of God, the strength of God, the comfort of God again and again. Scripture tells us elsewhere that God recognized that David was a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. And, and because he was such a man, David, in the face of these pressures, these challenges, these opponents, these people who tried to undermine his calling, his anointing, these people who tried to challenge and question his integrity, these people who, who were convinced that his troubles and his sufferings were his own fault, in the face of all that, David committed his life into the hands of God, into the hands of a God of truth, into the hands of a God that he knew in the end of all things, a God who would judge the wicked and vindicate the righteous. And this was his hope. This psalm tells us that David found God to be his deliverance. Verse 8 says, You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. David found God to be his rescue. David found God to be his salvation. David clung to God and his law even when those around him had abandoned God and had run after false idols. Verse 6 says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. And we know that in this psalm that David is not facing death. David is reaching out to God that God might preserve him in life, deliver him in life. David committed himself into the hands of a trustworthy, good, and just God. Because he really had nowhere else to turn. Aren't there moments in our lives where we feel like we have nowhere else to turn but to fall on God? David says in verse 14, and 15, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. In your life, in my life, we sometimes face challenges. We face opponents. We face attacks, even where we feel like we have nowhere else to turn. And it's in those moments that we take hope that our lives are held in God's hands that we can commit ourselves into God's hands to preserve us and protect us. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself in this sort of rut. This, this rut, I, I will say, was, was made worse by some spiritual attack that I was experiencing. Because the reality is we have a spiritual enemy out there. We have a spiritual enemy who likes to sow deceit and lies and discouragement into us. And here we are in the Easter season, a season of joy. And so, of course, he's going to come after us. And so I'm not totally surprised. But for me, this experience of attack, it often comes in the form of confusion. It often comes in the form of 
discouragement. It often comes in the form of a sense of my, my joy and my peace being robbed. There's these lies that trickle their way in. Lies that begin to cloud my thinking. Lies that begin to cloud my feeling. And so I began to feel like, what difference does any of this make? Who even really cares? These are the places that we sometimes go. So a few weeks ago, I was driving back from work here at the church, and, and, and I prayed to God, God, lift this off of me, would you? God, deliver me from this. I've, I've gotten myself wound up again. Would you unwind me? Would you free me? And it's in moments like that in my car where I appreciate Psalm 31.5 the most. It's those moments in our lives where we feel like we have nowhere else to turn. We feel like we're at the end of ourselves. We're at the end of our resources. And we cling to God. Well, over the next few days that, that followed, I had a series of simple experiences with God. A, a series of experiences that God used to kind of recalibrate me, to reset me. And these almost seem funny to share with you because these are not earth-shattering things. These are simple things. But God knows what I need and how to meet me. One day I was pumping gas at, at BJ's because they have the best price, it seems, these days. And, and that's important in these times. And so I'm sitting there, standing there pumping gas at BJ's, and, and, and up behind me pulls this beater SUV. And this guy in this SUV, windows down, is rocking out to the old Elvis gospel song, If the Lord Wasn't Walking by My Side. And so here he was, tapping on his dashboard as he's rocking out to this Elvis song. I, I don't know any Elvis gospel songs, but I am now a fan because God met me in it at the gas pump. The next day, I think the very next day, my, my Haitian neighbor whose, whose English is limited and so I've not been able to get to know her that well, but as we stood at the bus stop with her granddaughter and my daughter, I hear her listening on her phone to one of my favorite worship songs, Waymaker. Here she is, and I've, I've barely had a conversation with her ever, and she's listening to Waymaker. Now, I will say to you that I am not my best self at the bus stop with my daughter in the morning <laughs> because I have just spent 45 minutes rushing her out the door, getting food into her, getting her dressed, and in a tizzy, getting her to the bus stop. And so there I am, all flustered like normal, show up, and God meets me at the bus stop. These are simple things. It doesn't take much. But God is faithful to reach down through the cloud of our life at times and to shine his light into our hearts. What I sensed, the reset that I experienced in those simple little experiences was here's average people, people with struggles, but people who are singing praises to God 
people who care, people who are grateful for what they have in God. And I just needed to see that. All these experiences sort of culminated in a, a, a staff day retreat that we had a couple days later at Rolling Ridge. And on this retreat there, I, I felt inv- invited by God to walk slow with him. Because I don't walk slow. But I also felt invited by God to run fast with him. And I don't run much these days, especially not fast. And it was just this invitation from God to be with him. To take deep, fresh breaths with him. To be grateful for him. To feel his presence in my life. And so the point is that in my low moment, in my discouragement, and that looks different perhaps in all of our lives at times, I recognize that my mind, my life, and my heart are held in God's hands. And this is a God who could deliver me from the enemy. As we see ourselves held by the hands of God, a God who is trustworthy, just, and good, we find hope in this life just like David did. It's our great hope, friends, to know that we live our lives in the hands of God. And that may mean that God will deliver us from difficult circumstances at times. Or it may mean that he will just sustain you through them and preserve you in the face of them. And hold your heart in the process. But friends, this is our joy. This is our opportunity and our calling to lean into this. And let this be our hope in life. But committing ourselves into God's hands is not only our hope in life. It is our certain hope in death as well. Jesus Christ is our forerunner in this very thing. As Jesus hangs there on the cross, he's undoubtedly at the end of his earthly journey, his earthly life. He's barely hanging on with his final breaths and final energy. And remember with me, if you will, for a moment, the other words we've considered in this series. The other words of Jesus. Remember especially the word that we explored a couple of weeks ago, which has baffled scholars and theologians through the centuries. A mystery in which Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's this moment where Jesus bears the weight of the sin of the world, where Jesus feels something he has never felt before and will never feel again. It's this mysterious, temporary break of fellowship with his Father. It's this moment of God the Father turning his face from God the Son, where the Son goes from blessedness to cursedness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, we can never fully appreciate the anguish of this moment. We can never fully appreciate the sense of forsakenness, the sense of darkness which surrounded Jesus. 
But Jesus pulls through even that darkest of moments to look at his Father in heaven and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus never lets go of his trust in God's plan and his trust in God's purpose, even as he experiences forsakenness on the cross. There's a Scottish theologian named Thomas Mayle who comments on this whole scene and this whole series of events of darkness which surrounds Jesus in which Jesus is able to trust his Father in the midst of all of these things. Thomas Mayle is exploring how could Jesus still trust his Father in the face of such anguish, in the face of such darkness. And Thomas Mayle explores first Jesus' experience in the garden where Jesus prays to the Father, Father, would you remove this cup of suffering from me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And he says this, The Father that Jesus addresses in the garden is the one that he has known all his life and found to be bountiful in his provision, reliable in his promises, and utterly faithful in his love. He can obey the will that sent him to the cross with hope and expectation because it is the will of Abba, whose love has been so proved that it can now be trusted so fully by being obeyed so completely. This is not legal obedience driven by commandment, but trusting response to known love. These comments here, they, they, they jog our memory about this triune, eternal God that we worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that have existed for all eternity in loving, shared life together. And so Jesus leading up to the cross Jesus Christ, God the Son, had already experienced an eternity of shared life and received the love of the Father. And so it was on that base that Jesus could stand secure, that Jesus could face death secure. So Jesus, the Son, knew the Father through all eternity. But I wonder, too, if Jesus in this moment also trusted in God's Word. Did he trust in the promise of Psalm 16? This psalm, this prophetic promise that the apostles later apply to Messiah Jesus as they preach and as they unpack this whole plan of redemption. They say of Jesus that he is the fulfillment of Psalm 16, 9-10, which says, Therefore, My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. I wonder if Jesus kept this promise in his heart. This promise that the Father would deliver Jesus. So Jesus is able to trust his Father because of this eternity of shared life in love with him, this life with a father who was loving and good and just toward him. So friends, like Jesus this morning, we also carry the great hope that committing ourselves into the hands of God is our hope in death. 
A God who will one day recognize the righteousness of Christ in us that we have received by faith and deal with us lovingly and justly. We're talking here in these moments about the Trinity. We're talking about mysteries. And as important as this all is, it can feel about as far from our real life as can be, can it? What do we do with this? What's the point of this for us? Well, friends, my big takeaway, my big thought for you this morning is that you can trust God like Jesus did. You can trust God like Jesus did. And so think about your life. Think about your journey. How has God been faithful to you? How has God carried you through dark nights of the soul? How has God proven Himself faithful and loving to you? How has He met you as you've cried out to Him for deliverance? How has the light of His love shone through your clouds and into your heart in a way that you could receive as a gift? The Father that Jesus knew is the same Father that we are drawn into life with through the Spirit. The same fellowship that Jesus had with the Father, you are invited into as well. And as you step into this divine life, we are blessed to say again and again, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Think back, if you will, to my swing set for a moment. I want you to know that that job is far from complete. All the pieces of the swing set lay in my backyard, waiting to be assembled one day. I have plenty more work ahead of me, and my kids have already started nagging me to get it set up, so pray for me. But even as we learn to live our lives saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, this doesn't mean that everything is sorted out. This doesn't mean that everything is buttoned up, tidied up. This doesn't mean that the work is done. No, instead our hope is that while we work out our faith in this life, as we walk with God, even as things are left incomplete, even as life and relationships feel unresolved at times, We take hope that God holds us through it, carries us through it, and not only that, works out his good purposes in us. This morning, some of you might not relate to this kind of hope. You might feel like, you know what, I'm just sort of drifting through life haphazardly with no one to hold me, no one to guide me. You might think, you know, I'm I'm the only one that really controls my destiny. I'm on my own. I'm just spinning through this world. If that's you, God invites you to draw close to him by faith. Because the same hands that formed you are there to carry you through and to receive you into eternity one day. These hands are a refuge for you, a resource for you in the face of your challenges, 
your enemies, and your sufferings. These hands are a covering for you, a base for you, a home for you. But the first step is to receive the Father's gift of love for you in Jesus Christ, who came, hung on a cross, poured out his life for you that you might be forgiven and free and have fellowship with him. And friends, as we receive that, and as we respond to that love that the Father has for us in Christ, it is our eternal joy and our eternal peace to say to him, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Let us pray. Father, we entrust ourselves to you again this morning. Lord, help us to know whatever that looks like, whatever next step that requires. But God, we lean into you as the God who holds our lives, the God who is trustworthy and good and who will carry us through. God, give us courage for this this week and help us to find great joy and peace as we commit our lives to you once again. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.